We'll get to that announcement later. All right. We're in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, Jason's got all of his Bible studies memorized. So, yeah. We're in 1 Kings chapter 12 this morning. Now, Duncan Helwig uh, taught for me last Sunday night, which I really appreciate. He, left, he finished off chapter 11 in the life of Solomon. And tonight, we, as we get into 1 Kings, we're going to see the divided kingdom. So let's go ahead and pray, and we will get into tonight's Bible study. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, uh, it is so good to be here with you in this house, worshiping you, Lord, and studying your word with our, our dear fellow brothers and sisters. And so now, God, we ask for you to teach us. Uh, Lord, I, not one of us wants to leave here the same way we came in. Lord, encourage our hearts for the coming week. Lord, convict us of sin. May we represent and look more and more like you as we go out into this world and continue on our week this week. We thank you and we pray now that you'd open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we get into chapter 12 as we start uh, this chapter out, there's a couple things I want to remind you about where we're at in 1 Kings. King Solomon has uh, officially passed. And uh, before he passed... Uh, God was upset with Solomon. He was angry with Solomon because Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God was uh, very uh, angry with the fact that Solomon had not only he had he started taking multiple wives, he, he started rebelling in chapter 10 as we looked at that, but then he started setting up these idols because of his foreign wives. Now, it is interesting that King Solomon, of the thousand wives and concubines he had, uh, he only, we only read of one son, and that's, that's quite interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if there were some other sons, and they just didn't make it, but it seems like with David, we read about his other sons, but King Solomon, we only read about one son with all these uh, marriage relationships he had. And King Solomon welcomed in these terrible foreign gods and started setting up the worship and the high places. And we talked, last time I was with you, we talked about how some of those gods required child sacrifice and these sorts of things. So God had uh, sent a prophet to Jeroboam, one of the mighty men, and told him that he was going to divide the kingdom, that 10, ten of the tribes of Israel would go to, to uh, Jeroboam and and the other tribe would be left for Solomon, Judah. Now, Judah and Benjamin are kind of considered one tribe a lot of the time. So when we say one tribe to Judah, that's both Judah and Benjamin. And uh, the other 10 tribes, which would be the northern tribes, would all go to Israel. So I want to read something before we get into chapter 12. It's verse 38 of chapter 11. And it says, Then it shall be, if you heed, this is God speaking through the prophet to Jeroboam, If you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. So God uh, gave Jeroboam a recipe for success. You know, you, you hear all these motivational speakers, hey, ten, 10 ways to be successful, three ways to be successful, five ways to be successful, and, or, or uh, three ways to get straight A's. I remember when I was in grade school, we had to watch this guy talking about how, how to get an A and all the different tips and techniques for it. 
uh, it, well, God actually gave a successful way that he, that, that he can actually make happen. So just remember that, that God gave this very specific recipe for Jeroboam some success, and we're going to see he totally fails. But let's go to verse 1 of chapter 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they, they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy now, uh, heavy. Now therefore, lighten the burden, burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So Rehoboam said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me, and the people departed. So I, I'm going to pause there for a moment. As Israel comes, all of Israel, Judah and Israel included, to, to the coronation of Rehoboam, they, they, they have this grievance that they want to bring to Rehoboam, and they're asking for him to, to make a change. And the grievance is that his father Solomon made their yoke heavy, uh, that it was burdensome. And they want him to lighten that burden. Now, this is what they're really asking. It's the same thing today that we ask. Well, generally we ask. I don't even know what we ask anymore of politicians. But, but it's no new taxes, okay? Lessen the taxes. That's, it's the same thing we ask today. That's what they're asking. We don't want all these burdens. We, we don't want you to tax us and take from us. We want you to ease that yoke that you've put on us. So we can absolutely identify with the question. There's a problem here with, with their question, though, because they're missing something so vital to the health of Israel and the success of Israel. See, they're focusing on their taxes and their burdens, their individual taxes and burdens. Those things are important. But they're missing out on God's righteous call. What, what God has set apart Israel for and what he's called them to be they have, they have no mind for that. They're not asking Rehoboam, get rid of the idols, get rid of the Asherah poles, quit sacrificing children to Molech. That's not what they're asking. They're just saying, don't, don't tax us and we'll be happy and we'll serve you. They should be saying something different. And, and I'll tell you right now, I, I think this is very applicable to us today when we go into a voting booth, listen, you're not voting for the lesser of two evils. Don't ever think about voting for the lesser of two evils. I, I know that uh, oftentimes when we vote, we feel like, well, that person's not really a righteous person, and that person's not really a righteous person, so it's the lesser of two evils. Now, don't think of it that way, and, and I'll tell you right now, for the most part, you and I will probably never get a politician who represents the Bible uh, or represents godly, godliness uh, and Christianity the way we would like, okay? But what you're voting for is to limit evil. You're, you're voting for, for individuals who will limit evil and, and stop evil if you can. That's what we want to do. We, we, we're not voting for the lesser of two evils, so when we, when, we consider, when we go to the ballot box to cast our vote, the, the, the secondary thing should be, how does it affect my pocketbook? Now, that's an important thing. But, but, but I'll tell you right now, God says that he'll bless nations if they turn from their sin and turn from their wickedness and, and they obey him. 
So if we, can, if we can go to the ballot box and we can declare that, hey, we no longer want babies being sacrificed on the altar of affluence and wealth, and we no longer want children being offered so that people can have whatever kind of lifestyle they want to live, uh, that would be a good start. That's a very good start in your voting uh, because you're voting for something that's righteous and good. And uh, these are the challenges that we, we all face when we go to the ballot box. There, there's many more, obviously. And, and you as a, a believer need to pray about these things, weigh these things in, and make a decision. But it's kind of sad that Israel doesn't say, hey, Rehoboam, get rid of the idols. Get rid of the high places. Get rid of the places that are leading us into apostasy and um, sin. They don't do it. There's no new taxes. Well, verse 6, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. This is good advice. Uh, Rehoboam goes to get advice. He gets good, solid advice. Look, if, if you'll be a servant to them and you'll serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants. These are obviously the consultants, the counselors to Solomon. But it's not the, the advice that Rehoboam wants. Rehoboam's going to go shopping for some advice. Now, this is a dangerous place to be. If you are the type of person that wants to hear what you want to hear, uh, and you go get good advice, but you're like, mm, I don't like that advice because it's actually good advice, but it's not what I want to hear. That's very dangerous. Uh, Proverbs twelve fifteen, Proverbs twelve fifteen, we read that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Listen, any fool will say that was a great idea. That's a, that was a perfect idea. But, but uh, we, they're just being foolish. The, the one who's wise actually heeds counsel. Proverbs 19 verse 20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Now especially I want to point out to those of you who are young, this is, this is something you want to apply right now. One of the things I do with my kids, uh, and I always get on my kids for this, is I never want to hear I know. Like when, when I'm teaching them something, the last thing I want them to say is, I know. And like, no, no, don't tell me you know. Or if I'm, if I'm giving them a chore to do, I'm like, hey, I want you to go do this. I, I know, I know. That's what, that's what uh, you, you do in your youth, right? Don't say I know. Listen first. Then you can ask questions or say I understand. But don't say, I know, because you probably don't know, and you're probably going to go and do it wrong, and then you're going to get in trouble, and all sorts of problems are going to happen as a result. And, uh, and if you're really a wise person, you'll listen to counsel, and you'll receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Uh, and I'm assuming uh, Logan's mom is telling her, hey, listen to this. <laughs> Just kidding. She's like, yeah, Logan, you listen right now. Come on. <laughs> every, every parent of a teenager is like, uh, are you listening? <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> no, because I'll tell you right now, if, if you start 
uh, if you start just saying I know to everything, you're going to show yourself to be a total fool. Uh, but rather be teachable and, and, and listen to counsel. Now, that instruction is given by Solomon to his son in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is wisdom to the son. Unfortunately, Rehoboam didn't pick up any of it. He didn't pick up any of it. All right, so, so then uh, verse 8, uh, but he, Rehoboam rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him. <laughs> That's a bad, <laughs> who stood before him and he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father has put on us. Then the young men uh, who had grown up with him spoke to Solomon, say, or spoke to Rehoboam, saying, "Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your fathers made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges." So, um, so this is basically the advice is put the boot on them. You put your boot on them and you don't let them up for a bit. You just make them obey you. Uh, this, this is the good advice. Rehoboam's like, oh yeah, that is good. Now we're going to see that the Lord uh, allowed this to all happen, obviously, in his sovereignty because he had already told Jeroboam what was going to happen. But this is terrible advice from his from these younger men who grew up with Rehoboam. Verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed them, directed saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shalonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Okay, I want to just talk about that, that verse, verse 15, uh, that this is a turn of events was from the Lord. So did Rehoboam have a choice in all this? Yeah, Absolutely. Did God know what Rehoboam's choice was going to be? Absolutely. Did God intend for Rehoboam to make this choice? Absolutely. That when we talk about the, the choices of men and the sovereignty of God, it's challenging for us to put those things together because we don't fully understand it. But we know with Pharaoh, when Moses went before Pharaoh and God said that Pharaoh will harden his heart or I will far, harden Pharaoh's heart or uh, Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. We know that there are a couple things going on there. One, Pharaoh, God already knew, given Pharaoh's free choice, how Pharaoh would respond. Two, we know that, that when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that was the, the word there is different than, than when, when it says Pharaoh will harden his heart. What, what, what it says about God hardening Pharaoh's heart is, is the idea that God would allow Pharaoh to just shore up his rebellious nature against God. He'll harden that, that, that resolve that Pharaoh has against God so that he will deliver the people of Israel. 
So here is, as we, we see this idea of God's sovereignty and yet man's free will, we don't want to become fatalistic that like, well, there's no really choice you can make anyway, so it's just going to all happen as is. That's not the case at all. Rehoboam could have made big, better choices, but God knowing the choices that Rehoboam could have, could have would make, uh, he, we, we read that this all a turn of events from the Lord. And, and I think this is important because we know that God has given us a volitional will, that you and I have a will that we can exercise. And you and I actually have the ability to say no to God, to say yes to sin. And God knows what you will do. And being the sovereign God, he will still orchestrate events to happen in real time. And we can go, wow, God, that's amazing. And, and when we start to try to unwrap that idea, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to, to wrap our minds around. And, of course, theologians will argue about this till the Lord returns. And they will still not understand it. Uh, but, but we can see how, how God works among men. So when we see that men reject God, or that when men are, are put in places of power and they do evil before God, don't think that God has abandoned. No, 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 no. God doesn't abandon his people. But God certainly will work through these events to accomplish his perfect will and uh, do those things that he intends to do. It just may not always be in the timing that we want or uh, be easy on us. Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So Rehoboam gives this decree that he's going to be harder than his, his father. And this is at his coronation. Okay? And then uh, Israel says, we reject this. The, the other ten tribes of Israel, go back to your tents. They all go back to their tents. And then Rehoboam says, send the tax collector out. And they stone him. And they almost assassinate Rehoboam. So Rehoboam jumps on his, his the, the king, uh, the king of all of Israel uh, at this point, well, supposedly the king of Israel, uh, jumps on his chariot uh, because he's afraid that his people will assassinate him. Some king, some mighty king, right? Afraid of the people. Uh, and so, so now we see the division of the kingdom of Israel from this point on until 1948, we will never again see a united Israel. Um, so from this point on, Israel is divided, uh, between the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom. And so we're going to, as we go through Kings and second Kings, we're, we're going to deal with uh, oftentimes Israel and then with Judah and, and so on. We'll go back and forth during these timelines. But Israel is going to be divided. Uh, you, you might say, well, what about when they came back into the land after the Babylonian captivity? Well, from the time that Israel was taken away into captivity to 1948, Israel was never in sovereign control of their land. 
They were always under the rule of a king, be it Persia, be it Alexander, the, uh, the Seleucids, uh, the Romans. They were always under the control of other nations. Never again, not until 1948. In 1948, that's why that was so special. And one day, God brought back Israel as a nation. That was an, an incredible day in 1948. And that's one, one of those days that's very important in the fulfillment of, of biblical prophecy and a marker for the, the coming of the Lord. So that was, uh, so now we see the kingdom divided. And it says in verse 19, the author, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass, verse 20, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Verse 22, listen to this. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the, the man of God, saying, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. This is the only time, the only time we will ever meet Shemaiah. <laughs> He's given one message, he delivers that message, and gone from biblical history. We'll never see him again. But the message is pretty powerful. Rehoboam has gathered up an army between Judah and Benjamin of 180,000 soldiers. Now, we can see how prosperous Israel was during the time of Solomon because they weren't fighting wars. And everything was prospering during the time of Solomon. And this massive army that they're able to put together to try to start this civil war. But God has a message to this prophet and it's amazing how it is heeded. Uh, the fact that the, the, the prophet comes with the word of the Lord. And I want to just for a moment consider with you how powerful the word of God is. When you speak the word of God, you will, you will see when you speak to others, you'll, you'll be amazed at how faithful, like how, how God will cause people to pause and think when they hear the word of God. It is so powerful. I'll tell you, whenever I speak to an unbeliever, I don't care so much about Dave Johnson giving great arguments, apologetic arguments, and all these sorts of things. Obviously, those things have a place, but I want to get the word of God into people. Just get them hearing the word of God, seeing the word of God, understanding somewhat of the word of God, and you see a change. I, I, even with my unbeliever friends, when, uh, when I'm speaking with them and they come up with some of their crazy, unbelieving ideas, I'll speak the word of God, stripe from the Bible, some wisdom from the word of God, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. Well, it's not amazing from Dave Johnson. It's amazing because our God, is, his word is incredible. And uh, I want to encourage you to learn the word of God. Uh, learn, and, and by the way, I want to put a plug in for Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., 
that simply the story class, Sunday school class, it's adult Sunday school class, is starting back up the ministry that multiplies, and that is uh, teaching the method of oral inductive Bible study, uh, how we do storytelling with uh, the Word of God. And the reason why I love this method of teaching the Bible and and sharing it with unbelievers, because it's exactly as it is in the Word of God. Yeah, that's what you're going to share, exactly as in the Word of God. And uh, you'll be amazed at the story that you can tell in, in five minutes while waiting for a coffee or uh, being in and out waiting for your order. You can tell people about the story of the storm or uh, just whatever story God puts on your heart because it'll be in your heart and on your mind and you'll be ready to share the Word of God. Uh, I've had incredible interactions with people just by sharing the stories from the Bible. So Shammai shares this message, you shall not go up or fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. They all return back. All right, verse 25. Well, before we get into verse 25, anybody remember what the recipe for success was to Jeroboam? Anybody remember where that was found? Just this interactive tonight. Follow the Lord. Yeah, what, anybody else remember? We read that at the very beginning, this recipe for success. What did the word of God say? You guys remember? You didn't know there was a quiz. I'm sorry, it's my fault. I didn't tell you there's going to be a quiz tonight. First uh, Kings 11, verse 38. Okay, let's read it one more time. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, Walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. Okay? Uh, And by the way, I want to tell you right now that if you want success in your life, and I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about the world's ideas of success. If you want to be successful, do this. Walk in the Lord's ways Uh, Just as God has commanded you, keep God's statutes and let God prosper you. Uh, and and that's, that's really important. This is a pray, prayer I actually pray with my kids on a regular basis. Lord, help me to walk in your ways to remember your statutes. It's good prayer. Um, and you guys should all do this too uh, because this is truly a recipe for spiritual success. So uh, that was the recipe. Let's look at verse 29 uh, of, sorry, 25 of chapter 12. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. So he's starting to build his kingdom. Also, he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now, this is the problem, he said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. First problem is he's reasoning in his own heart. The, the heart of a man is wicked. And dece- it's deceitfully wicked, the scriptures tell us. Uh, don't reason in your own hearts. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. But I'm a Christian. I understand you're a Christian. Praise God for that. You reason from the Lord's word. 
You, you wait on the Holy Spirit to direct you because I'll tell you right now, myself included, as a born-again believer, I've made bad decisions. And you can't tell me you haven't made bad decisions either. You can't tell me that you haven't responded poorly to other people uh, or, or sinfully. Uh, that is the fact that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Now, we know that God is doing this wonderful work of sanctification on our lives. He's making us holy as we walk with him. He's faithful to do that. Philippians 1.6 says that, that he will be faithful to complete the work, to finish the work to the day of completion. So we know that, that the Lord is going to do this work in us. And more and more, day by day, we look more and more like Jesus but the problem is we're starting out with this pretty wicked heart and mentality. And uh, don't reason in your own hearts. So, Saul, so Jeroboam's fear is, hey, if, if we don't give the people a place to worship, they're going to go to Israel, Judah. They're going to worship at the temple. Then they're going to say, hey, let's follow Jeroboam. And then they're going to come back and kill me. Did God establish Jeroboam? Yes, he did. Did God tell Jeroboam this was going to happen? Yes, he did. And, and uh, God did just what he said. He had made a promise, but the, but the problem with Jeroboam is reasoning in his own heart, reasoning outside of God's word, away from God's word, just with himself, using his own ideas. So verse 28, we see a terrible practice. Therefore, the king asked advice. The king asked advice, advice uh, made Two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now these things became a sin for the people. Uh, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Wow, this is exactly why God ripped the kingdom away from Solomon because Solomon had started erecting foreign gods and, and high places of worship and he turned the people's hearts away from the Lord God. And now Jeroboam is doing the very same sin even though God had given him the wisdom and the knowledge, the understanding, the promise of success. Jeroboam says, nope, my way is better. Oh, boy. Man's way is never better. I'll tell you that right now. Man's way is never better. Those of you who are younger in the Lord today, just remember this right now. Man's way is never better. Uh, we want to follow God's way, not man's way, because it might seem good to a man, but it's a lie. Okay? And uh, I think about all the false arguments that have been set up against God by good reasoning people, and then young people buy into these terrible ideas, and, and uh, you just see them buying into lies because it, well, it seems good to me. Listen, let, man, let God be true and every man a liar. That's what you want to remember. Let God be true and every man a liar. So Jeroboam sets up these golden calves and says, here they are. Here's your gods, O Israel. Now, there, there's a question of whether or not these calves represent the Lord God or whether they're gods themselves. But let me just say this, that we saw this before. 
when Israel came out of Egypt and it didn't go well. Do you guys remember how it went for them then? Uh, it did not go well. In fact, uh, Moses came down the mountain. They're all worshiping. Aaron says, Aaron, Moses says to Aaron, Aaron, what happened? He's like, well, I don't know. I threw this gold in the fire and poof, out came these calves. And, and then we, they started worshiping them. You know, I'm sorry, Aaron. It wasn't me, right? That's Aaron's response to Moses. And, uh, of course, uh, as a result of that, there were a lot of Israelites who died that day. Uh, Moses ground up the golden calf and made them drink it. It's a pretty awesome moment. Uh, sorry, I like that sort of stuff. Uh, the Chronicles, Second Chronicles, because uh, here, here in this paragraph it says that he even rejected the priests of God, the Levites, and he just made priests from whoever he wanted to make them. So he's not only rejecting the Lord as far as having idolatry and, and erecting false images uh, for worship, but he's also rejecting the place of worship of God. He's rejecting the people who are the ministers of the worship of God that God has clearly given instruction. All this is to say that he's rejected the word of God. Second Chronicles 11 verses 13 through 16, we get a little bit more detail on this. Second Chronicles 11 verse 13 through 16. And it says, and from all their territories, the priest and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as the priest to the Lord. Verse 15. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord, God of Israel came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So here's what happened with, with his rebellion against God. Not only did he lead the people astray and lead the people into sin, which it says in verse 30, that now this thing became a sin for the people who went to worship. Not only did he lead all the people into sin, but he booted all of those who loved God. He kicked all those who loved God out. Well, he didn't officially kick them out, but the Levites weren't going to do their worship, so they went to Judah. And those who wanted to sacrifice to the Lord God in the temple, they went to Judah. So now you have a totally corrupt nation of Israel because you lose all that godly remnant during the time. Now, we, we know that, that God always has a remnant. But it's just, it's a terrible place for Jeroboam as he's taught the people to sin. We read that this continues on in Israel far into their future. Hosea 8 uh, verses 5 and 6, uh, Hosea the prophet remarks uh, to, to this calf worship because they continue doing it. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? Uh, for from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And then in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3 of Hosea, it says, Now they sin more and more, and have made for themselves molded images, idols, and their silver according to their skill. All of it is the work of craftsmen. They say of them, Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be like 
the morning cloud, and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff, chaff blowing off from the threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. That's not good. It's, it, that is not a good prophecy. It's saying that God is going to wipe you out. That's what that's saying uh, because of these calves worship. Jeroboam's sin has long-lasting impact on the future of Israel. And I want to say this to you parents. Your righteousness has a long-lasting impact on your children. And in the same manner, your sin has a long impact on your children. What legacy do you want to leave for your children? I want to challenge you to consider that, to live upright before the Lord, to set the example. Not, not, uh, not do what I say, <laughs> I'm the parent, but do as I do. You set the legacy. You, you set the path. You, you teach your kids in the way that they should go. You don't just embrace unrighteousness in your household or ungodly attitudes, but you, you set the example to be godly. And you're like, well, I haven't been very godly up to this date. Great. Today's a great day to start. Today's a great day to clean out the high places, to get rid of the calves, to get rid of the idols. Today's the perfect day to start. Because if you feel God calling you to reject some form of sin in your household that you've allowed, that you've embraced, get rid of it. And let your kids know, hey, our family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No longer this day will we continue on uh, embracing this sin or these ungodly attitudes. And I want to challenge you with that because it's going to have a long-lasting impact for generations, for your kids, your grandkids. We, we had a memorial service years ago, um, and it was so, actually, we've had a couple of these where we've just seen some men, some so amazingly godly men who have passed, and at their memorial services, we've seen generations come. And they, they're, they're not only their households, but their grandkids, and all these people, and the testimonies of all of them are also godly. And, and, and when you see these generations, you, it really feels like a patriarch has just passed. When, when you're, when you're at the, participating in these memorial services, because you see the legacy of godliness that these men have left uh, for generations among their, their family members. That's for me. That's where I want to be, you know, and I hope you do too. I hope you want to leave a legacy of godliness for your, for your children um, and not like Jeroboam. All right, verse 32. We're almost done with the chapter tonight. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Jeroboam not only rejected the place of God's choosing, he's rejected the method in which God's ordained. He's rejected the people of God, the word of God, but he's even rejected the times and seasons that God has ordained. Uh, and that's, now he's offering, and what he's done is he's just started his own religion. That's really what's happened. Jeroboam has started his own religion built on what he believed, built on a man with no real power. And uh, it's, it's really sad because he was given this recipe for success. We're going to see that there's a lot of problems with Jeroboam. 
we're going to see there's a legacy, the uh, problem with legacy. And, uh, of course, some of the, out of these things, we're going to see incredible prophets rise up of God, speaking truth, calling back Israel. But uh, with that said, we're going to see just corruption uh, and corrosiveness happening within Israel. Jeroboam rejected God, and, and you and I might ask the question, I don't, it doesn't make sense. You look at somebody like Jeroboam, and you're like, wait a minute, God told you this by a prophet. He gave you the recipe. Why would you do it? I'll tell you, sin never makes sense. Everyone who I've talked to that loves to walk in their sin or continues to walk in their sin, and you ask them, you sit down with them, you talk to them like, well, what, what exactly were you thinking? It literally is like talking to a child. I remember eight-year-old Dave when my parents were like, why were you up on the roof? Why were, you do, <laughs> why were you lighting the fire in the backyard? Why were you doing? And, and all the answers I had for my parents were just total foolishness. Like, what, you weren't even thinking. No, actually, I wasn't at all. Uh, I, was, I was completely in my own delusion. I shared before about the eight-year-old Dave Johnson, whose mom made a cake for his class. And it was, it was, it was one of those great cakes with the sugar icing. It was for my class the next day. When my mom went to go pick up my sisters at Girl Scouts, I was at home watching the A-team. And <laughs> Hannibal, Hannibal loves it when a plan comes together, right? There I am looking at that cake going, well, maybe during commercial break I can just get a little taste. And before my mom came home with the commercial breaks, I had taken all the frosting off the sides, thinking my mom wouldn't notice. I'm not... I know it sounds like I'm really not a sharp tool in the shed. But the point is, my mom comes home and says, what happened to the cake? And I said, I don't know. You're the only one home. Uh, <laughs> For some reason, in my head, I believe that my rebellion would somehow go unnoticed. I believe that my sin, I could somehow get away with it. That's what man does in sin and his delusion. Eight-year-old Dave Johnson had a very sore bottom. And my mom told the whole class the next day, David doesn't get any cake because he did this. And she shared all about it with the class. Good for my mom. And mom, if you're watching, I appreciate that lesson. Listen, sin is delusional. It causes us to be delusional, just like Jeroboam. That's why it's so important that we don't believe or reason in our own hearts, but we trust the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time together, and we thank you for your wonderful grace in our lives. Lord, we want to confess now to you those times that we've been delusional, that we've embraced sin. Lord, if you're in this room tonight, and you're, you're one of those tonight, you've been convincing yourself that some sin is okay in your life, you confess it now to the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we ask now that you forgive us. We come before you and we ask for your blessing on our households. May we lead them in a way that is godly, in a way that lifts up your statutes and your ways. We thank you and we pray your blessing on each and every one who came tonight to hear your word. May you encourage their hearts as they walk out from here, Lord, ready to to uplift your name. 
We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.